Let's begin with a word of prayer before we look into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. And we understand that it is all instructive to us. Help us apply it to our lives today. In thy name we ask it. Amen. Have you ever heard somebody who was discouraged with life and with their lot in life? And they say something like this, sometimes I just think I'd be better off dead. Or, you know, things sure keep getting worse and worse. Well, I remember when, you know, back in the good old days. I remember those good old days, you know, before quarantine, when I could visit my relatives without a mask. I can almost taste my mother's pot roast. Or, I don't know what the boss, or the president, or the governor, or the pastor, or some other authority figure is doing, and I don't think he does either. Or maybe this, my boss, or my mayor, or my governor, or my president, has just messed up the whole system. Well, we're so messed up, nobody even feels like working, even if they still had a job, and, and it's all his fault. Or, you know, uh, somebody receives some new technology or software or edict or policy, and they say something like, what is this anyway? Uh, or... I feel like I'm on a sinking ship without any lifeboats, and somehow it's no comfort to know that we're all going down together. Well, I know you've heard those things, because I've heard them from a lot of the same people you've heard them from. Right now, there's a lack of confidence in government, in banking, in Wall Street, in our economic infrastructure, in our health care system, in our justice system. And it's all so complicated, we feel helpless, and sometimes we get angry. Now, if you add to those helpless feelings some personal health issues, or you have a friend move away that was your sounding board for processing your difficulties, and life seems pretty dry and hopeless, it becomes a spiritual wilderness experience. These kinds of statements sprout like weeds when life gets so dry nothing seems to grow. It's, it's easy for these kinds of expressions to come out when the outlook is bleak. And in whatever direction you look, it seems just as bleak. But God does not label these kinds of statements as an accurate assessment of the situation. God calls them grumbling. Or at least he did in Exodus 16 when the Israelites were saying those things. And I suspect he would call them the same thing today. But just as pain is a symptom that tells me there's something wrong with my body, grumbling is a symptom that tells me there's something wrong with my spirit. And as we look at trying to serve one another, if we hear another person grumbling, we need to meet it with compassion that recognizes this truth. That grumbling complaint is that person's spirit saying, ouch, all the protests that we've been hearing this week are collective cultural pain symptoms. Our culture, especially minorities in our culture, are saying, ouch, 
And that's symptomatic of a spiritual deficiency in our culture. So let's take a look at Exodus 16, where we can discern what the spiritual problem is that leads to discouragement and grumbling. And then we'll look at God's provision for the problem. The problem is expressed in Exodus 16, 1 to 12. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, the symptom is grumbling. Its time is about a month and a half after leaving Egypt. It's long enough for the excitement of having crossed the Red Sea to fade from memory. It's long enough to realize that the practical problems of this endeavor are real. They need a constant supply of water and food for several hundred thousand people and their flocks. There would be constant conflict over little things like sleeping conditions and aggravation of personalities. Its place is out in the desert. It's an uncomfortable and inhospitable place, a place of death rather than life. And expression, discouragement that despairs of life would have been better off if we'd died by the Lord's hand. A viewpoint that looks back only to the good of slavery. We had pots of meat. I'm going to ignore the fact that we had whips and were in chains. Accusation of leadership. You brought us out to Moses. There's no consolation in numbers. This whole assembly feels the same way. And you fear the worst. They're going to die from hunger. Heard about an archaeologist that found this scrap of parchment from some musician who was part of the complaining company with these words of a song called the Empty Belly Blues. Goes something like this. I'm a month and a half in the desert and my lips are cracked and dry. All my skin is gritty and dusty, and my kids are starting to cry. You may think Moses is something, but I'll tell it to him too. All this desert trek has got me is the empty belly blues. I got the blues. I'm so blue. All this desert trek has got me is the empty belly blues. All the people here are with me looking back at Egypt land. Thinking about our master's pot roast and old Pharaoh's rocking band. I, you may think Moses is something, but I'll tell it to him too. All this desert trek has got me is the empty belly blues. I got the blues. I'm so blue. All this desert trek has got me is the empty belly blues. Well, old Moses took a wrong turn, and I think I might refuse. To go farther in this desert with my empty belly blues. You may think Moses is something, but I'll tell it to him too. All this desert trek has got me is a empty belly blues. I got the blues. I'm so blue. All this desert trek has got me is a empty belly blues.
So what's the cause for all this grumbling and complaining? Well, the supposed cause, why the Israelites would have said they were grumbling, is that they had bad leadership. They blamed the leader for making a mistake of some kind. And they were hungry. There was physical discomfort that they felt powerless to do anything about. There was hardship. Not everything had gone smoothly. You look back to Exodus 15, 22 to 27, there was a water crisis and they finally found some water and it was bitter water at the oasis of Elam and uh, Moses had to solve that problem for them. God did, really. The real cause of their grumbling was lack of discernment. They did not see that it was the Lord, not Moses, that had brought them to this place. Exodus 16, 6 and 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning, for the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. There was a lack of devotion. It's seen in their complaint of longing for Egypt. They cared only for their bellies. God does not bring people into a desert place without a purpose for it that's intended for their good. And we find those purposes described in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 5, and then also verse 16. Listen to what it says. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell those forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. And then verse 16, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So what were the purposes? Well, first, to humble them. This people were proud and stiff-necked and did not even recognize it because they'd been slaves. They needed to know that they were dependent upon the Lord for everything and that, in fact, he had been taking care of them and multiplying them for the last 400 years as a slave nation in Egypt. They needed to give to God his rightful place in their lives. That's what lack of humility is, not giving God his rightful place in your life. And then to reveal their heart to them, the second purpose. You see, God already knows what is in our hearts. We tend to think our hearts are always right, but we are often blind to the sin that is in our hearts. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it in Jeremiah 17, 9? And one of the ways God reveals our heart to us is to put us through discomfort and not having everything go our way. Let me tell you that most of those protesters who went into violence tell themselves that they're really good at heart and they're only expressing righteous indignation. 
as they burn and pillage minority neighborhoods. The truth is, they had hatred in their hearts. We can also tell ourselves that, well, we're really good at heart when everything is going well for us. But we may have sin in our hearts that we're blind to. God can reveal it to us as as we react sinfully to hardship. The third purpose was to discipline them. They were used to being rebellious against those who had authority over them because they knew it was wrong. So they were undisciplined in their ability to follow leadership and they needed to learn this if they were to be an army that could fight against a disciplined fighting force when they came into Canaan. And then to test them. Could they learn to follow instructions? Could they be prepared to receive the good things God had in mind for them? Deuteronomy 8, 16 through 18. God said, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. You see, God knew their heart tendencies that are the same as ours. When we receive the blessing of opportunities and fruit from our labors, we paint God out of the picture of our success, and we give ourselves all the credit. That's very short-sighted. And unless through some hardship we cried out to God and saw him deliver, we tend to rewrite our own personal history, focusing on how brave and hardworking and visionary and valiant we were. Well, where can we apply these lessons that they were learning in the wilderness? You see, God has written this history of Israel for our benefit. The reason it will apply to today is that the same God who opened the Red Sea for them has saved us from our sins. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means we can learn from these things because God's word is eternal and always true. And God's works are always consistent with his character So we can learn about him through this. God's ways of working are not arbitrary, but always righteous. And we can understand that patterns of interaction with God that they had will be the same in similar circumstances for us. The Jews in Jesus' day grumbled about Jesus' leadership. In John 6.30, so they said to him, What then will you do for a sign? so that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? This is the Pharisees. Now, understand the context in which they made this complaint to Jesus. He had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And then he had walked on water to get back across the lake. He didn't do the things they wanted him to do. They would have preferred to tell him a miracle to perform and have him meet their demands. Of course, that would have meant that they did not need faith, and they would have been in control. You see, God must always be in control. Only God gets to be God. They did not discern that God was actually with them in the person of Jesus. John 6, 41 and 42 makes that clear. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? 
They did not have the devotion to actually follow, even if they did not understand everything about Jesus and how he would bring them knowledge of God. In John 6, beginning at verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless he's been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of disciples, his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God had purposes that only a few perceived. The point is this. God was right there with the people and they did not even realize it or acknowledge him as God. What about Christians today? Do we grumble when there's hardship? Do we rail against leaders and bosses forgetting that God is sovereign and complain against the authority over me, forgetting that we might be complaining against God? Do we complain about our conditions because we think we have a right to better treatment? Do we think God may have made a mistake somewhere or is in some way punishing me when we have hardship, not being willing to recognize that God may have higher purposes and he's not given up on me at all? Do I acknowledge that God's purpose for me are for my good? Am I learning obedience in my circumstances? Am I learning perseverance in my trial? Am I learning discipline along the way? We can meet our trials with victory if we respond in the appropriate way to God's provision. There was a threefold provision to tell Israel that the Lord is with them. The first was the vision of the glory of the Lord. Exodus 16, 7 and 10. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but they recognized it to be the the glory of God, the Shekinah appearing in the cloud. God was letting them know, I'm here. I'm with you. I hear you. And then there was the quail in the evening, Exodus 16, 12, and 13. I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And then the third provision was the manna, in the morning, Exodus 16, 12, 14, 15. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, 
there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Now all three of these things are pictures of Christ, who is also known as Emmanuel, or God with us. The glory is the expression of God himself. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus Christ is the expression of God himself in human form. The quail was a physical food that they recognized and knew. Christ came in the flesh in human form so that we could recognize and know God as a man. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 tells us that's how we recognized God in human form. And then the manna was a food from heaven that they did not know. Exodus 16.15, the word manna means, what is it? What is it? It's manna. What is it? Uh, Psalm 78, 23 and 24 tells, it was, it tells us it was the grain from heaven. And John 6, 63, Jesus tells us that his words are like this manna. They are spirit and life that came down from heaven. Now God had five purposes in making this provision in this way. And all of these flow from God's heart of compassion. One, that they would know God, that God, rather than Moses, was their leader. That was the first purpose. It gave them, secondly, it gave them an opportunity to show their obedience and service to God. They could obey the regulations concerning the gathering and keeping of the manna. They could obey and honor the Sabbath. And thirdly, it demonstrated God's power in providing for everyone's need. Fourthly, it gave them a daily opportunity to acknowledge their dependence on the Lord and thank and praise him. They had to gather that manna every day except gather twice as much on Friday as they prepared for Sabbath. It affirmed God's approval of Moses and Aaron's leadership because what they said came true. What was the people's response? Well, each was able to gather as much as he needed. Exodus 16, 18. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Secondly, some disobeyed by not believing. The instructions were clear. Gather as much as you need for that day. And don't try to save it over except on Friday. Save it over for the Sabbath. You don't go out on the Sabbath. So there were some that, uh, verse 20, didn't, we're going to try to hoard it. <laughs> and so they went out and got more and, and tried to save it over and it got maggots in it. Or they didn't believe that it would last when God wanted them to rest. And so on Friday, they uh, didn't gather enough, so they tried to go out on Saturday to get some more, the Lord's Day. They were disobedient. God has given us provision in Jesus Christ to meet all our needs in every trying circumstance. That's a promise we have in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We see a parallel of God's provision in Exodus 16. Like sending the quail, Jesus came one time in the flesh as a way to show us God and his character and his perfection 
in a way that we could understand and know. Then he went up in glory, and he will come again in glory that we will witness, whether by remaining alive at the time of the rapture or whether by resurrection from the dead at the rapture, we will see Jesus coming in glory. This realization is a comfort to us in trial, even as we think it could be today. But he is also the daily manna through his word. John 6, 63 tells us that we can partake of his spirit daily by obedience to his word. There are many who suffer times of hardship. It's like you're one and a half months in the desert and ran out of food and your family is crying and you're despairing of your position. There's three things to do. One, believe that God is sovereign and compassionate and in control of your situation and circumstances. Believe that God is sovereign and compassionate and in control of your situation and circumstances. Secondly, look for his purposes in this trial. Is there an area of obedience that he's testing? Is there a character quality that he's developing? Is there glory to himself that he's demonstrating? Is there more of himself that he's revealing to you through this trial? And then spend time with Jesus every day by reading his word and meditating on it in prayer. If you do these things, you'll be able to say with David in Psalm 37, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed of the Lord begging bread. For the Lord loveth his children, and he'll see that his little ones are fed. I want to read you the words of a song that are built on those those verses. It says, Worry not because of evil or slanderous words, yet a little while and these things shall not be. The meek shall inherit the good of the earth and shall abide in abundance and peace. For I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor the seed of the Lord begging bread. For the Lord loveth his children, and he'll see that his little ones are fed. If the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, then I know that my trials are his way of working together all things for my good and changing my night to brightest day. For I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor the seed of the Lord begging bread. For the Lord loveth his children, and he'll see that his little ones are fed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we would pray that you would apply these truths to your people today. Help each one to know that you care for them, that you hear them in their pain. Help each one to know that you are leading them that you are guiding them, and that you will meet their every need through Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 
The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.